Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Ocean State Bird Club offers bird walks, lectures, and a quarterly newsletter all focused on the hundreds of bird species that pass through Rhode Island. Fall is the perfect time to bid farewell to the last of the summer migrants. Find us at OceanStateBirdClub.org and follow us on Facebook, Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 600. 97. We'd like to start this morning's show with a big number. That number would be 7,936. That would be the count so far this season of a particular raptor seen migrating over Hawk Mountain in Pennsylvania. It's the broadwing hawk, Buteo platypterus which is an obligate migrant, meaning that virtually all individuals of the species migrate. That helps account for these incredible numbers over Hawk Mountain and many other hawk-watching locations around the country. On this morning's show, we'll talk to somebody who's probably seen a few of these broad wings, our friend Sean Carey. He's down there at Hawk Mountain. We hear there's some fog, so we're not sure if he's up on the mountaintop or not, but we'll check in with him very shortly. Meanwhile, here's a sound we'd like to present. That would be the sound of our mystery bird. And this would be a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along just a little bit later on in this morning's show. Here are some clues. Our mystery bird looks like a stocky gull but is related to seabirds like albatrosses and shearwaters. It breeds off Alaska and Canada, though more abundant in other areas, including off both the Atlantic and Pacific coasts of the U.S. Our bird, which has gray upper parts with white underparts, head, neck, and tail, and a short, thick yellow bill, feeds by diving as deep as 10 feet below the surface for fish, and is well known among commercial fishermen for its scavenging of fish parts thrown from the boats. There's also a dark morph with a uniformly dark gray body. Couple of clues there in the sound of our mystery bird. The contest coming along just a little bit later on in our show. As usual, we have some fabulous prizes, including the Droll Yankees original A6F classic tube feeder featuring durable metal parts that squirrels can't chew and backed by a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. And a bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. That is the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. So a couple of prizes on our upcoming mystery bird contest. Extra, extra, read all about it. Meanwhile, uh, some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Up in the Arctic, scientists are eavesdropping on migrating birds. Why? Well, to learn how a warming climate is affecting their migration. And to learn how they're doing this eavesdropping, click the link to Yale Climate Connections on our page. 
Our man Mike O'Connor helps a reader of his newspaper column figure out who's making that chip, chip, chip sound in his backyard. And you'll see the answer through our link to Mike's latest column. Hint that chip, chip, chip is not being made by a chipping sparrow or any other bird. And what's the secret to recycling those non-recyclable plastic bags? We'll connect you to an answer courtesy of the PBS NewsHour. And that's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. Don't forget, you can also find those stories through an online search if you're not a Facebook follower. Well, they call it the world's biggest cleanup. No, it's not an attempt to find the floor under the debris in your teenager's bedroom. It's a project being engineered by 24-year-old Dutch inventor and entrepreneur Boyan Slat, whose ocean cleanup project is targeting the more than 5 trillion pieces of plastic currently littering our oceans. Boyan and his colleagues started the project in 2013, and they've made significant progress in their efforts. The latest news involves the fact that there are now trials underway in the bigger-than-Texas-sized Great Pacific Garbage Patch, halfway between California and Hawaii. As of this week, the crew has managed to assemble their plastic capturing systems successfully and will be continuing the testing of the system over the next several months. We'll be following their progress at OceanCleanup.com. That's OceanCleanup.com. Well, we have someone else to talk about as another hero in the fight against ocean plastic pollution. And he gets this week's Talking Birds conservation salute. He's Dhruv Borua, who perched atop a specially made bamboo bicycle, sitting on a pair of pontoons, has been paddling in urban canals and rivers in the U.S. and the U.K., scooping up floating plastic trash. He calls it a wacky campaign to highlight the worldwide crisis of plastic pollution in our rivers and oceans. He's also working on the problem on a much larger scale. And a check of our Talking Birds Facebook page will provide links to his pedal-powered mission and to one of his eye-opening and inspiring TED Talks. And Dhruv Barua will join us soon as a guest here on Talking Birds to explain more about his amazing work. And amazing would certainly be a good word to use in describing our Talking Birds ambassadors who volunteered to let us send them some info cards about our show to help spread the word about the show and about birds and conservation. So we hereby salute our newest ambassadors, including Jerry Poltorek from Lake City, Florida. Jerry says, I've been listening for over a year. You finally got me to sign up as an ambassador. I keep telling folks about the show. I guess I'm not convincing, so I need those cards to hand out. I'm so concerned that they're missing the best bird show around. To me, your program is like watching old Andy Griffith shows. Like Andy, you leave us feeling good about ourselves, our birds, and the glorious world around us. The Opie the Birdman episode tugs at my heart even today. Just can't forget how Winkin', Blinkin', and Nod filled the trees with life at the end of the show. We're going to have to find that episode, Jerry. Thank you so much, and uh, we're happy to be associated in your thoughts with the good people from Mayberry RFD. And we'd like to thank Dr. Jackie Berry from Red Hook, New York, in Dutchess County, not far south of Albany, right along the Hudson River. 
In addition to her professional work as a researcher, by the way, Jackie is a passionate birder and environmentalist, and she is also Mrs. Duchess County and will be competing for the title of Mrs. New York America in March of next year. Good luck, Jackie, and thank you for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, to join Jackie and Jerry as a Talking Birds ambassador, it's pretty easy to do. Just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. That's the Become an Ambassador option by the contact button at TalkingBirds.com. No G in talking. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with Sean Carey, noted nature photographer and videographer, documentary producer, and inveterate hawk watcher from down there at Hawk Mountain in Pennsylvania. Plus, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment uh, with some help for a listener who's having some difficulties with turkeys, being a little too friendly with the vegetation in her backyard. And up next, a waterfowl whose beauty may be only feather deep is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. What does a swan's feather have to do with a successful marriage? Well, an old British superstition offered this advice for the ladies. Sewing a swan's feather into your husband's pillow will keep him faithful. It's technically illegal to obtain the feathers of most wild birds, but sometimes, perhaps, exceptions must be made. A swan many of us are familiar with, native to northern Europe and central Eurasia, and introduced to North America to grace the ponds of parks and estates, is the mute swan. This beautiful but troublesome bird has long since established breeding populations in many areas, threatening native waterfowl with its aggressive behavior. Management of mute swan populations has been a major concern since the 1970s, and the population of mute swans on the Atlantic coast of the U.S. is now estimated at more than 14,000. The Atlantic Flyway Council, a continent-wide group of waterfowl managers, aims to reduce this population to less than 3,000. Meanwhile, let's explode a myth about the mute swan by pointing out that it isn't really mute. It makes a sound like this. And if you get too close, like this. Getting back to the issue of faithfulness, mute swans are said to mate for life. But if a female loses her mate, she usually finds another quite quickly, and often one that's younger than her previous mate. Mute Swan, Cygnus Olor, today's Talking Birds, featured feathered friend. And thanks again for being with us here on our show, number 697. If you don't mind, we'll remind you of our website again. It's TalkingBirds.com, and we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Well, Sean Carey is a Massachusetts-based photographer, videographer, documentary filmmaker, Vice President of Eastern Massachusetts Hawk Watch, and today we're catching up with him 
as he scans the skies, or planned to at least, for migrating raptors on Hawk Mountain hello. in East Central Pennsylvania. I hear you saying hello, Sean. You must be there. Good morning. <laughs> Hi, Ray. How are you? Uh, doing well, and I guess... Uh, I know there was some fog expected down there. I looked at the forecast for Hawk Mountain. It said it was going to be partly sunny today, but what? Still a lot of fog, I guess. There's actually more fog here today than there was yesterday. Ooh. <laughs> Unfortunately. And that was but a lot Friday yesterday. Friday, yeah, Friday was a good day on the mountain, though. I had, it was, weather was beautiful. We had some birds moving, so um, I'll, I'll take one out of three days. Okay, one, one out of three it is. So Friday you were up there, so you said a good movement of birds. What, uh, what were you seeing up there on Friday? Um, they had a nice mixture of birds. They had some ospreys. They had a couple of peregrine falcons, merlin, sharpshin, cooper's hawk. Um, I think they had some kestrels uh, moving as well. Um, haven't had. I was just looking at their tallies um, for the year. They haven't had a goshawk yet this year, and still waiting on golden eagles. But those tend to come in a little bit later in October. Mm-hmm. And we know that broadwing hawks. We gave a number there a few minutes ago. They're generally the most uh, numerous species you'll see in fall hawk watching really some amazing numbers but are their numbers starting to taper off now that we're in october uh once you once you're in october they really don't see broad wings anymore that's really kind of yeah. more of a september um movement of those birds once you get into october it's pretty rare to see a broad wing at that point mm-hmm. so what about other bird species uh, of the uh, non-raptor variety songbirds and such yeah they had a little push of um some uh fall Warblers. We had a uh, black-throated green yesterday. Um, some kinglets that were moving through. I think they had some yellow rumps. Handful of uh, warblers had some nice looks at some uh, woodpeckers, uh, uh, red bellies, and some yellow-bellied sapsuckers. And apparently, um, I think it was last week, a gentleman who was on the lookout had a golden plover fly over that he heard at first and then mm-hmm. saw it. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty rare to see here at Hawk Mountain, apparently. So, yeah. Never know what, what you're going to see, which is uh, one of the exciting things about all kinds of bird birding. That's right. Bird Got to get out there. Absolutely. So it's a pretty famous place, Hawk Mountain. Um, what, what makes it so, uh, so great for hawk watching compared to uh, other mountains or the big hills? Well, one of the things about Hawk Mountain is, you know, this location, they've been doing um, counts here of migrating raptors longer than any other place, not in the United States, but in the world. And so they've got data going back, I believe it's into the, the 30s, if I'm correct, late 30s, I believe. Mm. And, um, you know, it's a really special place. You get up under North Lookout, the view there is spectacular. The people are very passionate about what they do. The folks here at Hawk Mountain, I've got to know many of them over the years, and they're really dedicated to um, the conservation work and the research that they do on behalf of, of raptors. And um, it really is just a special place, you know, um, for those that have been here, you, you kind of get that, that vibe and that feel mm-hmm. the, the second you arrive. And the, the hike up to the south lookout, which is, you know, fairly close to the, to the visitor center is nice. But the north lookout is where all the official counting goes on. And that's where you kind of get the, the big crowds of people, you know, waiting for the big push of, of birds as they're kind of moving south. And if you get a front that goes through, which I was kind of hoping for that <laughs> this weekend because it looked like there was a front going through. Um, but it didn't turn out as as well as I'd hoped. But, yeah, it's just a very special place. So you're climbing up the mountain. The birds are getting up the mountain in a different way, like really two two phenomena involved, right? Updrafts and thermals that the raptors use? Yeah, yep, yep. The updrafts and, and thermals come, you know, uh, is what they're looking for to, to kind of have that effortless flight to, to save energy as they 
as they migrate south, and Hawk Mountain provides both of those. Um, on Friday, we saw a little bit of that, although the winds died down, so they were probably weren't getting much of an updraft at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you when you come down here and you kind of get conditions just right, you can see it actually taking place right in front of you. And, um, it's 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 an interesting phenomenon to see, and the view is just spectacular because mm-hmm. in some cases you're not looking up at the birds on the north lookout when they're kind of breaking to either side of the ridge. You can sometimes look down on the birds, which is a really a nice view of of hawks as they're kind of moving by as opposed to many hawk watch sites where you're just strictly looking up mm-hmm. so that's the other nice thing about hawk mountain and and you're 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 viewing the birds and uh the idea of that you have to get uh, some altitude generally for for hawk watching but not necessarily a, a lot of equipment binoculars but really not scopes right no, I, you know, interestingly enough, uh, you see a fair number of people that will bring spotting scopes up to, hmm. up to the North Lookout. Uh, I mean, not a lot. I mean, it's certainly more binoculars. But you see some people that will bring their spotting scopes as well. You know, I tend to bring my camera equipment up there hoping to get a few photos. And I got a few on, on Friday, which was nice. Um, but, yeah, certainly a good pair of binoculars. And, um, you know, like I say, good conditions in terms of a front moving through in those northwest winds. And, and um, you know, October now, as we get closer to... You know, mid and late October, that's when some of these golden eagles are moving through. And, you know, mm-hmm. they can have, over the course of the season, probably upwards of 150 golden eagles that move through. And I've had some wow. really nice days down here in the past in, in late October and had as many as 15 or 20 over the course of a three-day period. So, mm-hmm. unfor- not unfortunately, but this year I came up this particular weekend because I was um, presenting a program here last night showing my latest documentary video. So that's why I was down here. Uh, in early October, typically I would come down the last weekend of October. So, talking about binoculars, Sean, what what, what do you recommend for binoculars for hawk watchers? You need a kind of a, a, a big, wide field of view, right? Um, you know, a, a good eight and a half by you know pair of binoculars of some kind would do good. I use Swarovskis. You know, there's lots of other good binoculars out there, but yeah, just a good pair of binoculars. You know, good glass. Um, I always tell people. You know, invest your money in a good pair of binoculars because they'll last you a long time. Don't mm-hmm. don't necessarily cheap out because if you buy a cheap pair of binoculars, you end up buying several over the course of many years because they just don't last. But if you got buy a good pair of binoculars, it'll last you probably your lifetime, and it's it's a it's a good investment. Sean Carey is vice president of Eastern Mass Hawk Watch and the co-founder of Migration Productions. And if you'd like to see some truly spectacular photos and videos of birds, maybe those as well that Sean just talked about. Uh, visit his website. It's migrationproductions.com. That's migrationproductions.com. Sean, thank you, and um, hope for a miracle and that fog is going to disappear all of a sudden. Absolutely. Great to spo- <laughs> speak with you again, Ray. Cheers. All right, Sean Carey there down at Hawk Mountain in East Central Pennsylvania in the fog, unfortunately, today. Thanks for being with us here on our show, and um, What's coming up next, Tim? I believe it would be the Mystery Bird Contest. If I'm right, we'll find out in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. My name is Laurie Reynolds, and I live in North Branford, Connecticut. I became a Talkin' Birds ambassador 
because I have been listening to Talking Birds for two years and have been getting so much out of it. It's time for me to give back and to share this information with everybody. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, talkingbirds.com, click on the contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at talkingbirds.com. And thanks. And thanks again, Lori. We had the pleasure of meeting Lori uh, when we broadcast our show from the American Birding Expo, also in Pennsylvania, in uh, just outside of Philadelphia. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, by the way, just before we get to the mystery bird contest, is one big story that's been showing up everywhere on TV, newspapers, and everything. It's about these uh, intoxicated birds up in northern Minnesota. Um, it's really kind of a sad story because these birds uh, get intoxicated and, 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 and look like it. Uh, unfortunately, they also crash into things and uh, with fatal results um, many times. And uh, what's going on with that? It has to do with these berries that they're eating. Uh, After there's a frost, starches are converted into sugars, and then the subsequent thawing uh, apparently allows yeast in, and that speeds up the fermentation process. And I think this usually happens much later in the season, even late winter, but apparently there was an early frost up there in Minnesota that kind of accelerated the process. By the way, one study done on this subject suggested that most of the birds who experienced this avian intoxication were immature birds. Kind of, you know, their bird equivalent of teenagers, uh, perhaps, of the human uh, species. So it may be possible that adults learn to avoid those alcohol-rich berries, or at least consume them in moderation. Okay, moving on to our mystery bird contest... Many of our mystery birds there out at sea. Our mystery bird looks like a stocky gull, but is related to seabirds like albatrosses and shearwaters. It breeds off Alaska and Canada, but is more abundant in some other areas, and that includes off both the Atlantic and Pacific coasts of the U.S. Our bird, which has gray upper parts with white underparts, head, neck, and tail, and a short, thick yellow bill, feeds by diving as deep as 10 feet below the surface for fish and is well known among commercial fishermen for its scavenging of fish parts thrown from the boats. There's also a dark morph of this bird with a uniformly dark gray body. Uh, What would that mystery bird be? Tell us or take a guess at 781-837-4900. Please don't wait uh, to uh, call in with your guess or tell us what it is. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner, and as always, we are determined uh, to have a winner on our Mystery Bird Contest. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. We have two beautiful prizes. Uh, The Droll Yankees original iconic A6F classic tube feeder featuring durable metal parts that squirrels can't chew and backed by a lifetime warranty against squirrel damage. Kind of important. Our bonus prize is your choice of a download to your iOS device if you have, a, have an iPhone or online access to the LarkWire app. It's the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. So that is our mystery bird clues and so on and the beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees and LarkWire. So uh, all we ask you to do now is give us a call and tell us what you think that bird is. 781-837-4900. 
is the number to call. Meanwhile, we check in with Mike O'Connor. He's down there at the famous Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Well, in 2015, Noah Stricker set himself a lofty goal to become the first person to see half the world's birds in one year. He traveled across 41 countries in all seven continents, eventually spotting 6,042 species. By far the biggest birding year on record, he recorded it all in his memoir, Birding Without Borders, now available in paperback. This is no travelogue or glorified checklist. Noah ventures deep into a world of chronic sleep deprivation, airline snafus, breakdowns, mudslides, floods, war zones, ecologic devastation, conservation triumphs, common and iconic species, and scores of passionate bird lovers around the globe. By pursuing the freest creatures on the planet, he gains a unique perspective on the world they share with us and offers a hopeful message that even as many birds face an uncertain future, more people than ever are working to protect them. Birding Without Borders is available wherever books are sold. Mike O'Connor is down there at the uh, Birdwatcher's General Store, and he is with us, as that music would uh, indicate. Uh, good morning, Mike. Is that you, Andy Griffith? <laughs> Yep. Welcome to Mayberry, RFD. <laughs> I've just come back from Floyd the Barber and uh, got a nice little <laughs> trim down there. You and Aunt May, Aunt B. Aunt B, good old Aunt B. Well, uh, Mike, um, we heard from Janice up in Grantham, New Hampshire, and um, she has a little problem with wild turkeys. I mean, uh, lots of people do, uh, don't they? Uh, these turkeys apparently are are kind of chewing up uh, Janice's lawn and she and she would like them to be maybe a little bit farther away from her yard than they are uh, right now. Uh, any suggestions? Well, you know, I'm kind of the wrong guy to ask that because I'd rather see turkeys in a lawn. But, um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, the birds would I, would I like to see. But um, they're really, I mean, some people want a repellent. There's really no repellent. Birds' sense of taste and smell is not really that strong in terms of repellent. Mm. It's It's more of scare tactics turkeys have a dominance factor and and if you go right at them first of all get rid of the food if there's any kind of food any reason for them to come to the yard you've got to get rid of that right away or, or at least temporarily stop that because if if there's no food then they'll just come to your yard and if they're poking around you can go after them go after them where there are hoes or you know, if you really want to wake up the neighbor's pots and pans, some people use an umbrella, pop it up and down, but but be relentless, and the turkeys will just say, "Okay, I don't need this crazy lady. I'll go bother somebody else's yard." <laughs> but oh, look at that! There's a quick one. Wasn't yeah, it? we are so short on time this morning. Sorry about that. I wanted to ask you about this coyote urine thing, but uh, we'll yeah, yeah, to... stay, stay away from that. That's just you know that that urine comes from fur farms, and it's not it's not nice for the animals, and it's really not effective in terms of birds. So yes, stay away okay. from that too. Thumbs down on the coyote urine uh, um, solution. Yeah. All right, Mike. All right. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forests can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Oh boy, we're, we're really short of time. We had some technical issues this morning, so that's kind of what happened here. But 
Uh, that's our mystery bird right there. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. What is our mystery bird? Uh, who's first? We have Greg in, what, n- northern Michigan somewhere, it looks like. Uh, good morning, Greg. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. He called me sir. He, I, that sure. makes him the winner immediately, I think. Anyway, uh, whereabouts in northern Michigan, Greg? In the upper part of the lower peninsula. The town is called Houghton Lake. Upper part of the lower peninsula. Okay, I think I got that. We were up in the upper, uh, eastern upper peninsula a couple of years ago, up there by, um, between Lake Huron and, and uh, Lake Superior. Does that sound right? Yes, yeah, Sault Ste. Marie area. Sault Ste. Uh, nice Marie. Area. Exactly, Sault Ste. Marie. We're up there at the, at the, um, at the university there. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I forgot the name. We'll go on to the mystery bird contest if you can tell us what you think the bird is. I'm going to guess it's a northern fulmar. The audience would agree. Northern Fulmar. Exactly correct. Nice work, Greg. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Okay. Have a great day. All right. Thanks for calling in. Lake Superior State University. I knew I would think of it. That's where we were. Uh, some uh, some great birding uh, uh, territory up there. Next week, we're going to learn about a product that's in your refrigerator and in your cupboard, and it's in all the food you'll find all over the place, and it's causing great environmental problems. It's palm oil and we'll find out a lot about it next week and that's our show for this week thanks to mark duffield debbie bleacher and tim mckenney i'm ray brown ray brown's talking birds made possible by the generous support of the bird watchers general store orleans cape cod birdwatchersgeneralstore.com and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Ocean State Bird Club offers bird walks, lectures, and a quarterly newsletter all focused on the hundreds of bird species that pass through Rhode Island. Fall is the perfect time to bid farewell to the last of the summer migrants. Find us at oceanstatebirdclub.org and follow us on Facebook. Ocean State Bird Club. Tweet, 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 tweet.